0: Alright church, go ahead and grab your Bibles and meet me in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. Turn your Bibles on on your phones or grab your Bible and uh, meet me there. If you don't have a physical Bible, we actually have some hard copy Bibles at the, back, at the back of the room. If you want to go grab one of those or if you grab one on the way in, you can consider that Bible our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. We'd love if you would keep it and read it and um, yeah, bring it back next Sunday as we continue in chapter 16. Here we go. Genesis chapter 15. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward should be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You should be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Ken- Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All right, this morning we're going to be taking this passage in two main sections. First, verses 1 through 6, where we see Abram believing God's covenant promises, and then verses 7 through 12, 21, where we see the covenant ceremonies displayed. Now, before we start digging into this passage like we always do, I think it's good to do a quick review. So our story with Abram, where the hinge point happens in in the book of of Genesis, is after the Tower of Babel. So in the Tower of Babel, everybody gets together. They think it's a good idea to build this massive monument to themselves of pride and say, look at us. We're going to reach into the heavens and be like God. But God judges them disperses them over all the earth and spread and and differentiates their languages and but he through that then chooses abram a complete nobody from nowhere to be the very means that god has chosen to bless the whole world remember god's promise back in genesis 12 too. it goes like this i will make of you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I'll bless those who bless you, and on him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the big question of the whole Bible so far. You know, back in the beginning in Genesis 1, it looks like all things are great, they're good, they're very good, but then it gets broken, right? And so the big question is, how is God going to restore humanity to their former place of partnership with him and the rule, his good rule of his good world? the answer is through Abram. Since that promise, we've seen kind of two versions of Abram, right? We've seen faithful, obedient Abram. He's trusting God. He's setting up altars. He's walking by faith. But we've also seen like sketchy Abraham, right? He goes down to Egypt and like pimps out his wife. Like, that's weird. That's not good. That's not, that's not faithfulness to God, in the, the first past few chapters, we've seen Abram walking well again with a situation with Lot and the herdsmen in the last week. Abram leads a full-on army into battle against your boy Cheddar, like Ryan likes to say, Cheddar Armor, and he, he, he gets blessed by the priest king, Melchizedek. Abram's kind of like the USA Olympics uh, ba- basketball team, right? They've got all of these incredible guys on the team. They looked really good. And what do they do? They go and, and lose a game against France. Come on. Like, if there's one, it can't be France, y'all. Like, you can't do that. We're the U.S., you know, like, come on. But after they lost the game against France, you know, Katie gets them all together, and, you know, they, they eventually come out with the gold. But instead of cowering in fear to his enemies like he did in Egypt, Abram is fresh off the battlefield, right? He's defeating the big, bad Cheddar Armour. And Abram is probably feeling pretty good about himself at this time. Maybe he's walking with a little bit of swagger at this moment, right? See, he's walking by faith instead of cowering in fear. But this is where God speaks to Abram. I don't know if you've noticed, but God has been silent for the past number of chapters. Silence from God. And God speaks this word. Did you catch the first words that he gave to Abram? What are the first words? Fear not. Let's look at the text together, that first verse of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Commentator Victor Hamilton says in his commentary, see, the, the juxtaposition of chapter 14 and chapter 15 suggests that there's a, the, the situation with Chittal Armour, like this fearful, frightful king, on the battlefield is nothing to Abraham almost. And so Abram may confront Chedorlamer and live, but the question is, can he confront God and live? See, being familiar with our Bibles, this phrase, fear not, uh, can kind of come, become a little bit of Christianese for us, right? We hear a phrase like that, and so we kind of just brush it off saying, like, yeah, that's just what angels say when they appear to people. Uh, but just let's think biblically instead of just assuming things. In Isaiah 6, where the prophet sees a vision from God in his holy temple, Isaiah sees this vision of God sitting on a throne in all of his glory and all his power, and just the sight of God and his holiness. As Isaiah assumes, he's going to die. Like he's seeing, he can't live, he's going to die. He says, Woe is me, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, living in a generation of unclean lips. I'm going to die, is the assumption here. John the Apostle in Revelation sees Jesus in his glory, in a vision, and he falls down at his feet as though dead. Did you know the first thing that he tells John, though? How does Jesus comfort John? He tells him, fear not. See, in order to understand the weight and worth of God's promise to Abram, we must understand the might and grandeur of God. Let me paint a picture of our God. A fresh picture of our God. He is the first and the last He is the creator of all things. He is the uncreated one who has always existed and by His very words spoke all of creation into existence. He is all powerful. Nothing is too difficult for Him. He is all creative. And His presence fills all the reaches of untold galaxies. Therefore, they cannot contain Him. He spills out of them. He he predetermined the exact trajectory and position of our Planet. You guys remember that we're on a flying space rock, right? Hurtling around like a NASCAR loop around our galaxy, around the sun, going somewhere around 66,000 miles per hour right now through the reaches of space. We're spinning on an Earth on its axis at about 1,000 miles per hour right now. You know who set it spinning? You know who determined its trajectory? You know that we're not too hot, not too cold. in in a perfect position rotating around the sun that keeps us from burning up or freezing, God sustains that. God did this. And God perfected our flying space rock to the most minute detail. It's like the song that we sing with our kids. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. But this God is not just the Creator God. This God is is a God who judges the unjust, who holds man accountable for sin, who rights the wrongs of the wicked, who shows his mercy on whom he will. This is the God who appears to Abram. He speaks this word of comfort and a word of promise. He says to Abram again, fear not, but he also says, I am your shield. In one way, God is saying, yeah, I know, I'm intimidating. I am something to be feared, but I myself am the thing that's protecting you. This is the God who reveals himself to Abram. He is the one who protects Abram, and he says your reward should be very great. Then we have Abram's response to God. At first glance, it looks like Abram is complaining to God, right? It's easy for us to read it like Abraham saying, uh, God sure is taking a sweet time up there. So I ain't got an heir. Meanwhile, old Eliza is eyeing all my money. He's going to get all my stuff. But I think we need to notice that Abram, he's not complaining with God. He's not being cute with God. He actually feels safe enough with God, the God of the universe, to express his actual fears. He's vulnerable with God. God has just told him that his reward is going to be great. And in response, Abram responds by saying, what are you going to give me? Like, more material possessions? What are you going to give me? But it doesn't matter if what you give me if I don't have a son to pass it down to. See, Abram isn't being cute here. He's being vulnerable. If he dies childless, Eliza will going to be his de facto uh, heir. And that's a real problem because God's made a promise here. And if God doesn't come through with His promises, we've got a real big problem with our God. So here's what God does. He takes... Abram outside for one of the most iconic scenes in all of Scripture. He says, Look up to the night sky. Throw that image up there. Look up to the night sky. I know it's hard to see for you guys on this side of the room, but maybe look over here. He says, Try to number the stars. Maybe we, we should for just a second. Just how many can you count in the next five seconds? Once you get a couple steps, a couple, you know, you allow yourself to try to attempt this task, you realize the futility of it. 998, nine hundred ninety. oh gosh, I messed up, i got to start over again. See, God doesn't leave Abram to flounder in this impossible task for too long. Even in the Hebrew here, it looks, it seems like God is almost giddy to tell Abraham, so shall your offspring be. You know that thing you're worried about? You know that thing you're doubting, you're tempted to doubt about? Here's how much I have it covered. Think about how comforted Abraham would be in this moment. This is what your offspring are going to be like. God is showing Abraham in a grand scale that the real reward that Abraham is going to receive from him is going to be a miraculous baby boy who will be be the father of countless generations. And Abram, with all of his faults and all of his insecurities, he believes God's Word. He gets it right. God counts this belief as righteousness towards him, we find out in verse 6. Now, righteousness. This is another $5 word, right? And so it's better to stop and make sure we all understand it. Definition, really easy one. It's going to come up on the screen. Righteousness is right standing with God. I know, just reading the word, is kind of like duh, huh, right? <laughs> right standing with God. You know, you and God are good. So the opposite of righteousness would not be in right standing with God. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll understand there's one thing that separates us from right standing with God, and that is sin. That's right, sin. So according to almost everybody and every other religion on the planet, the way you make yourself right with God is by trying to tip the scales, right? Trying to do a bunch of good stuff to make up for all the bad stuff you've done, right? Just do a lot more things Good than things bad, and there you go. But according to these, this verse in verse six, there's only one way to be in right standing with God, and that is what faith. It's faith. He believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. So in the New Testament, fast forward to the New Testament, Paul picks up this ball and, like, Forrest Gump, like, runs all the way through the end of the stadium with it. I mean, like. No stopping Paul on this topic of faith, right? And so what I want you to do is keep your finger in Genesis 15 and flip over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're just going to let Pastor Paul preach at us for a little bit. I'm letting him have the wheel. And uh, he's just going to preach at us for the next couple of minutes, all right? So re- Romans chapter 4. He picks up this exact train of thought where we're at right now. It's also come up on the screens. Romans 4 verse 1. Here we go. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he did something to earn this. He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Skip down to verse 18. Pick up Paul's thought in verse 18. In hope, Abraham, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he's been told, you shall, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. You know, Paul's getting in a burn here about Abraham, right? He's like, yeah, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Let's stop there for a second. If you're here and anything I'm saying is resonating with you, you're looking to be made right with God. You understand the sinfulness of your own soul. You understand your own depravity. Or maybe you just you feel lost in the world and you're looking for answers for things. There is one way to be right with God. And it's believing his promises. That's it. No magic formula, no special prayer, no thousand good deeds. Believe God's promises, and your faith will be counted to you as righteousness. You don't believe me? Look at the next verse, verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the good news for all of us here this morning. This is a story about Abraham and God, is really to point us to believe in the same God who made this promise to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham was about a son. You're going to have a son, you're going to have an heir. And the same God who made this promise to Abraham about his son is making a promise to us about his son. His son, who he would send to die for our sins, God's only son, would not just die for our sins, but be raised so that we could be made right with God. This is the good news for us this morning. It's not that Jesus made our righteousness before God possible it's that He won all of it. He completed the finished work. Let me, say, let me say that again. He didn't just make the way between us and God possible. He didn't just pave the road, right? He completed the whole work. He finished the whole race. And He applies that work to us through faith. All we have to do is believe. That's it. This means that all the work to make you right with God, Jesus has already accomplished for you, and His righteousness has already been applied to you. Imagine that with me for a moment that you're homeless. I know it might be hard for us to kind of think in those terms. Imagine you're destitute. You're on the street. You have nothing. Nothing to your name. Your bank account's been shut off. You're penniless. But then a limo drives up. You're sitting there in your nothingness just contemplating your own death because there's nothing for you. The limo drives up. The window rolls down. And a man looks out from the window and says, I've been looking for you, and I finally found you. I've actually already made you a co-executor of my estate. You don't need to do anything. I've already made you a co-signer on my bank account. Here's a credit card. Here's my coat. Put it on. I I want you to get in the car with me and come home and live where I live because everything's already yours anyway. I've already made it so. Everything I have is already yours. This is... It's the good news of the gospel. Everything that Jesus has earned rightly in his stead, dying for sin in our place, we get granted freely for nothing. All we have to do is get in. All we have to do is believe that the promise is true for us. Like Abraham, just believing the word of the Lord. That's it. Everything's ours. Everything granted to us that Jesus has rightfully deserved and earned, we get freely in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is what God has done for us through Christ. And the crazy part about Genesis 15 is that all of this has already been pre-shadowed and foreshadowed in the story with Abraham. See, the whole Bible is telling us this one story. This one story about God's incredible covenant promises that are to be received by faith. Flip back to Genesis 15. Flip back to Genesis 15. You thought we were done. No, we ain't. Here we go. After Abraham believed God, God reiterates his promise to Abraham that, that, that he's brought him from Ur to possess the land where He's currently is and that, that future promised land in verse 7. But this pattern of earnest vulnerability from Abraham repeats again. He asked him another question. Like, how am I going to know? And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm gonna take you through this covenant ceremony with Abraham. And then we get through verses, uh, you know, 19. Uh, I mean, not verses 19. We get verses 9 through 11. And this is the part of the sermon where we get the incredible privilege about Abraham cutting up a bunch of animals and like pulling the butcher card, right? So it's kind of funny. Um, as I continue to read the text over and over and over this week, you actually kind of notice God tells them to get the animals, but he doesn't tell them what to do with the animals. So it's kind of funny to think God shows up on the scene ready for the covenant ceremony. is like, Abe, hey, like, whoa, like what in the world, man? Like, who gave this guy a knife? Like, he's chopping up animal. This is weird, you know. So, But for us, we, you know, many scholars and theologians have dug up all kinds of evidence that these covenant ceremonies were kind of like the cultural norm, right? One man's firm handshake is another's animal slaughtering ceremony, right? and so it's kind of just the cultural climate you're in we have to remember to be good tourists of the bible right because we're tourists here this is not where we hang out these aren't the practices that are normal to us so when we come to the scriptures we got to be good tourists and say like okay i don't know what's going on but i'm willing to learn and find out and so these types of ceremonies that were kind of common in this day um, we need to remember that there was two parties that would perform this covenant ceremony together to, to, to show that they were bonded together over this one particular thing. What would be normal in a ceremony like this it would be uh, that both parties participate in all aspects of the ceremony to show their union in them. Uh, but this, this ceremony is prepared by Abraham, but then performed by God Himself. Let's pick up the, the text in verse 17 though. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. And behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. See, in a ceremony like this, it would be expected that both parties would you know, participate in it. But Abram's busy taking a nap, you know. He's in a deep, dark sleep, you know, over there. And God actually performs the covenant ceremony in in some ways without him. And the way that this would have meant is that this would imply that the terms of the covenant were contingent upon both parties and the actions of both parties following through with their word. But in this case, God performs the covenant ceremony alone while Abraham's taking a nap. So, God is foreshadowing here, and I think it's very clear, the pick up on this, if you know anything about your Bibles and fire and smoke, you might think of one place in particular in Scripture, Mount Sinai, where God descended upon the mountain in a, in a pillar of cloud, and there's fire and there's smoke, and it's terrifying. This is a foreshadowing of that. Where this, this, this uh, the smoking fire part and, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. God is showing that he is establisher and keeper of this covenant from beginning to end. Just as Adam slept in the garden as Eve was being prepared for him, Abram slept and was given the promise of the very land he was called to go and seek that the Lord would lead to him. This is the promised land. All the boundary markers mentioned here is the very promised land that the, the people of Israel, after they're called out of Egypt, would be go, uh, called to conquest and conquer. that's not all Abram received in this covenant ceremony. Along with this incredible promise from God, he received a whopping not yet. Right along with it. Verses 12 through 16 tells us a prophecy from God about the future of his offspring. There's some good news. He actually has some, right? That's good. But then also they're going to be sojourners in a land that's not their own. That doesn't sound so good. Then also they're going to be eventually slaves. For 400 years? But then there's some good again. You know, God would bring judgment on their enemies and blessings on them, like, uh, like is to Abraham, whatever, as they left the land. But the real kicker for Abram is that he would never actually be able to enjoy ownership of the land himself. He's given the promise, but also resounding, not yet, not for you. And he would die at a ripe old age. But all this is still pretty great God is going to provide, but not yet. We need to realize, even though Abram has been given the promise of an heir, it's going to be six more chapters before he actually the, the, the birth of Isaac actually happened. Just think about how many years that was for Abram, Sarah, just waiting on the promise of God to come true for them. Yes, it was a yes, but for them in that moment, it was a not yet. Now I know because of how spiritually mature our church is, I'm the only one in the room that struggles with impatience here, right? Only one. Like I do countdowns in my head when I'm like filling up a water bottle, you know, at a water fountain. I'm pretty sure I've timed myself tying my shoes before because it's just, you know, I can't, I had Spotify account, like the paid premium account before it was cool because I couldn't stand the 30 second commercials. It's like, give me my next Mumford and Son song or whatever. It was in college. So this impatience, this sense of, of, of not yet, you know, if I was put into Abram's shoes, I would probably be tempted to doubt God rather than continue to trust the promises of God in that period of, of waiting. And I think for most of us, what we really want is we want a clear yes or a clear no. On every decision, every prayer, anytime we ever ask God for anything, give, us a, give me a clear yes, give me a clear no, right? But so many of the stories of the Bible teach us how to live in the not yet. In the yes, but not yet. Maybe, and this is going to get real for a second, folks. Maybe it's experiencing freedom from an area of struggle in your life. You thought this would be dealt with. You probably, Man, I thought I would never struggle with this again. But not yet. Maybe it's healing from disease. And we serve a God that controls the universe and the galaxies, but Why do I still have this disease? Why do I still have this sickness? Why do I still struggle with this thing? Maybe it's seeing your dreams realized or having what you imagined at this point in your life. It's just not materialized yet. Not yet for you. God calls us to live holding firm to His promises, but also to the reality that we may never get in this life the things that we will have eternally, eternally with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. See, maybe you won't ever be able to afford that incredible house that you've always longed for and that picture-perfect thing in your mind. You have the promise of Jesus the meek will inherit the earth. Maybe you have to live with an illness for the rest of your life, but in eternity, sickness, and death, they will be no more. God will bring an end to it for you. Maybe you you won't ever get the things that you want in this life, but think of an eternally Righteously exploring the redeemed cosmos. Maybe you won't get to hike Mount Kilimanjaro in this life. Maybe there's something that's going to prevent you from doing that or doing something that you want. Maybe you'll have to always live with some level of struggle in your walk with Jesus. But in heaven, with Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more sin. There will be no more darkness because Jesus will be the light. There will be no more death. Because it will be no more. God Himself is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. And church, that should bring us massive amounts of comfort. I know it's really hard for us to live in that space. And Lord knows, I often find myself there. But what we're called to do in those times is to trust the promises of God. Because the promises of God never change. Because God never changes. His promises never change because God never changes. See, the reason why not yet are so hard is why we wait in them, we're tempted to, to believe that God isn't going to make good on those promises. But we have unshakable promises. We have unshakable promises like in 1 Peter 1. Like I read at the beginning of this gathering. I'm going to read these words over you again, church. Hear these words as promises, precious promises, to be held on by you that are specific to you by God this morning listen to this blessed be the god and father and lord of jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again what are you you're born again to what a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and not just that you have an inheritance an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled and unfading and where is it kept in heaven for you and who God's pow- by God's power are being guarded. Who guards you? God guards you. Through faith, for a salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. And what do we do in this? We rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved by various trials in the not yet. So that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be result to be in the result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, like Abraham, He didn't get to see His promises realized in His time. He rejoiced with joy that is now inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Faith like Abraham salvation of our souls that's good news that's good news that i need to hear i need to preach to myself daily that i need to cling to with everything i have cuz i'm being kept by god i have an inheritance by god we have the promises of god we know the end of the story like abram and like abram we're called to walk be, to walk by faith and trust the god of the promises church we're going to leave these doors Here in the next couple minutes. Fear not. Let those words from God, fear not, mark you as you walk into the week ahead. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this time of response, in this time of worship, in this time of giving and singing, God, that our our affections may be further stirred by for you, Jesus. That we may again sing of these mighty truths of all the things that you've done for us. May we proclaim these songs as a testimony of our own stories before you, God. May we remember the darkness that you called us from and the glorious light that you have for us that we live in in the here and now, and the already and not yet of the kingdom that you are bringing here on earth. Lord Jesus, we pray, hasten your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, meet us with faith. Meet us with the goodness of your word, our daily bread to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil that surrounds us. God, I pray these things. We would be saturated by the truths of them in your name, amen.